This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. 5pm in the City of London. Good evening, you are listening to The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson. Uh, another busy day in the markets. Uh, we've got a lot to discuss over the next hour, so let me get straight to the price action. FTSE 100 fairly flat today. 69.64 is the closing price. European equity markets fairly mixed today. Actually, the Spanish market was up quite strongly, but the DAX uh, flat. The CACIRON down by around three-tenths of 1%. The, S- the S&P is currently down by four-tenths. The NASDAQ down by half of 1%. But as ever, the price action uh, is in the commodity market. It certainly seems to be the story at the moment. WTI crude is up by 7%. Uh, you've got Brent crude, the global benchmark, trading up by 7%. Uh, some of the the, uh, the product markets are up very strongly. Uh, New York heating oil up by 13%. New York gasoline up by 6%. Uh, ice gasoline up by 17% today. Uh, This is we see the President of the United States announcing a ban on the import of Russian energy. The UK uh, is going to be banning the import of Russian oil by the end of this year. The Europeans struggling, certainly key markets on the continent like Germany, finding it very difficult to make moves such as these. We'll discuss all of this with Alex Longley uh, in just a moment. He's the expert in this space. But before we do that, let's get a broad swath of headlines. Here's Charlie Hi, Thank you very much indeed, Guy Johnson. Here's what's going on. The US and the UK have banned the import of Russian oil, while the European Union is considering issuing joint bonds to help counter the fallout from President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. In America, President Biden announced measures against Russian oil, LNG and coal, while the UK plans to phase in the restrictions. Over several months, the UK will not be banning uh, gas imports. Shell and BP say they will not make any new purchases of Russian oil and gas, but won't be able to immediately disentangle themselves from Russia due to long-term contracts and the likely difficulty of finding alternative supplies. UK petrol prices rose at the fastest pace in almost 13 years last week as the war in Ukraine sent fuel prices to records. The average price of a litre of gasoline reached 152.95 pence yesterday, according to weekly numbers out from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. Petrol, Charlie, petrol. You call it gasoline, but you're British. You should know yeah, that. I know. I call it. I call it petrol. I think I call it petrol, but I could be wrong. But I'm always stunned, by the way, uh, and I don't think Americans fully grasp this: is the relative expense of petrol when they fill up in the United Kingdom. First of all, because Americans. Uh, don't fully understand that it's sold in liters and not gallons. And number two, just how expensive it is in terms of dollar terms, and they just they just don't understand how yep. expensive fuel is in the United Kingdom. Yeah, we are paying a great deal right now. Uh, I can't remember what it was last time I saw it. One fifty, one sixty a liter, um, and what a, a gallons? What a, a liter's about? One liter is point two one of an imperial gallon. You know, I was glad to see you got that correct because we are the financial station, and I was hoping yeah. that you would not ask me to I had to actually double check it and just remember my maths, which I, <laughs> as you were speaking, I was slightly concerned about. Charlie, thank you very much my indeed. Pleasure. Alex Longley uh, joining us now to discuss this further. Bloomberg Oil Trading reporter. 
Alex, um, the, the president over the last hour announcing a reasonably broad brush ban on the import of, of Russian energy here in the UK. What are we banning? We're winding down our imports of Russian oil, crude oil and oil products. Um, we're giving ourselves some time to do that because we, in import terms, are incredibly reliant on Russian supply and have been for a long time. What matters here in the UK in particular isn't so much crude oil, the headline Brent prices that we see. It's the supply of refined products, in particular diesel-like products. Now, when you get into the nitty-gritty of oil refineries, they'll tell you there's all kinds of different types of diesel. It's not yep. just one product. But that part of the barrel is what we're particularly reliant on Russia for, to keep our refineries going and to fill up our cars. And that is going to be the most difficult thing to wean ourselves off of. What is going to be the impact of, of this process of weaning ourselves off? I, are we going to see significantly higher prices? Are we going to see shortages, potentially, of diesel? Well, prices are already significantly higher. I think we had the RAC this week saying that diesel is already at a record high, along with petrol in their data. Um, the best way to look at it is to cast your eyes across to Europe. Refineries in Europe are already um, curbing their production of of fuel in some places in order to ensure that they can meet contractual ob obligations. So spot supplies of, of diesel and heating oil in particular in Germany have been um, have been curbed already. And that comes against this backdrop of trying to cut back on Russian crude supplies to put through your refineries. It's going to be a very similar picture here in Europe. The difference is this time we've given ourselves in the UK, sorry, the difference is this time we've given ourselves, we're trying to allow ourselves a wind down period. But Against that backdrop, you've got self-sanctioning across the entire oil industry. It's very yep. difficult to take a cargo coming from Russia, owned by a Russian company or coming on a Russian ship at the moment. Do we have supplies? Like what, what, are, what are reserves look like in this area? What's kind of, what, what is production and, or, or import and consumption? What's the gap between one and the other? Well, we had um, the International Energy Agency's Fatih Birol on TV today, and, and, and he was asked the question of what are you doing particularly about the diesel situation? And he said that um, the IEA stands ready to uh, release emergency reserves if it has to, and IEA member countries will have emergency stocks of supplies of all different types of fuel, depending on varying by country. Um, so it, it's possible that you see supply releases. Um, but really, it depends on on a multitude of factors. We saw here last year what happens when you get a sudden supply rush on the on the um, on the forecourts. Um, that only lasted a few days, and easily retraces yep. itself very quickly. I was going to go there um, next. Yeah. And we've seen that already in the aftermath of um, the invasion of Ukraine. We saw not as big an uptick in demand, but we did see an uptick in forecourt demand, and that's come that's come off again in the aftermath. So. It, it, it's hard to model how you know how the supply and demand paths go depending on you know individual behaviour yeah. at the forecourt. Russian oil, as you say, sort of sour and sticky, good for diesel. Uh, what's the kind? Of, uh, do other countries produce similar types of oil? Is there other areas that we could import from? Well, this is where it gets politically interesting as well. If you cast your eyes over to the US, you can really see um, the trade-off that's happening. Discussions with uh, potentially with kind of Venezuela trying to sign an Iran deal. Those are two yeah. huge producers of Venezuela is sanctioned of already, isn't it? Though it is, but you can always change your mind on foreign policy if the uh, the economic needs are there. And, and those are the kind of movements you're likely to see. Sanctioned previously sanctioned countries, uh, their oil supplies in particular, perhaps coming back to the market um, in order to replace those Russian barrels that they directly compete with. The other major area, a non-sanctioned area, is the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. Those guys all produce 
um, sort of medium heavy, very sulfurous crudes, which is the type of which Russia produces. And don't forget, um, in March 20, in March 2020, when uh, the price war between OPEC plus members began, Saudi Arabia and Russia were competing for market share. And that's because they produce very similar barrels. That's not to say it's happening again, but it gives you an idea of where sort of uh, similar supplies can come from. Just, into, just, uh, just to come back to the numbers, how much do we rely on Russia? How, I, what, I, if we see 20 percent, is it in terms of diesel production, in terms of diesel that we buy and that we use, how much of that comes from Russia? 20 percent? It varies hugely. So diesel purely, you're getting up towards 20 percent. Right. Crude oil and all oil products, about 12 percent. Um, crude oil itself, slightly lower, just below 10 percent. Those figures you have to take with a little bit of, pinch of a pinch of salt because they come from the UK government's most recent import review, which was released about six months ago. But right. that's a that's a rough idea and has historically been the case. In terms of the impact of of all of this, taxation obviously is a huge. Uh, and Charlie was mentioning the difference between the price of of a, a gallon of oil in the United States or a, a gallon over here or a gallon of, of gasoline petrol. Just uh, how much taxation is there involved? Is there something the government could do there? Clearly, there's a huge amount of taxation, but in times of economic difficulty, the government also needs sources yep. of revenue, right? And again, that's where the trade-off is. Um, across the economy at the moment, there's calls for the government to ease up on levels of taxation, depending on where the inflationary pushes are. And at the moment, energy, in particular fuel costs, but also household um, household bills Eating as bills, well, yep. um, are a huge driver of that. Whether they will isn't for me to say, but I'm sure it's probably something like that. Alex Longley, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. So as we've been hearing, the President of the United States within the last hour banning the imports of Russian energy into the United States. What impact will this have in terms of the Ukrainian conflict? Let's bring into the conversation uh, Bloomberg's Ros Matheson, Executive Editor for International Affairs. Ros, the President talked about the, the Russian economy cratering. Um, and I'm wondering whether or not there is an expectation that this has a meaningful and, and fairly rapid impact on Vladimir Putin's plans. Certainly, there seems to be certainly a, a sense amongst those that I'm talking to that it will have very little impact. So, so can we just kind of discuss what is happening with the sanctions story and whether or not this is actually going to have a meaningful impact on ending this conflict? Well, what you're seeing is real effort because the U.S. and NATO and other nations said that they won't intervene militarily in Ukraine, as in send in troops themselves to do fighting. What they're attempting to do is have sanctions do that work in place uh, of military support. So that's why you're seeing the sanctions that are really wide-ranging and unprecedented uh, in terms of their scope across the full uh, gamut of the Russian economy. So you've got all sectors of the economy targeted. You've got the UK and the US now banning oil. Uh, the UK going even further and saying it's going to uh, take action against refined products, which are what they tend to bring in more from Russia. And those measures are targeting every aspect of the Russian economy. Uh, the, the question is, what does that impact actually achieve? Because if anything, it's probably most likely felt at the individual level, ordinary Russians who are struggling to get access to their funds, finding credit cards not working, who are seeing food shortages in shops there, uh, and those sorts of things, whether it impacts um, people at the higher uh, levels of power is another question entirely. Uh, so the real 
thing with that is, is over time, do you see ordinary Russians say, well, we've had it with this. We're, we're, not, we're sick of living under these conditions. And you see dissent uh, increase. Of course, the Russian president has been very astute at clamping down on dissent and really crushing the, the political opposition there. So any kind of impact from that would probably take some time to filter through. At this point, there's no sign that that's actually affecting uh, what he's doing on the ground in Ukraine itself. Avril Haines, the uh, Director of National Intelligence over in the United States, speaking a little bit earlier on, I think in front of Congress, talking about the fact that, that Russia is loosening the rules of engagement, that Russian forces are acting with disregard for civilians. What's the latest on the ground? Well, we saw a fourth effort today to establish some kind of humanitarian corridor, particularly uh, in the north and the south of Ukraine, to allow safe passage out of areas that have seen the worst of the fighting so far. Uh, and that wobbled uh, pretty quickly again and seems to have collapsed uh, with recriminations on both sides. The difference seems to be that Russia is offering people to transit through Belarus and through Russia and out. Uh, and Ukraine is saying that's just not feasible and people from Ukraine need to be able to go out through other means, particularly through Poland. Um, so those things tend not to be lasting very long. And that's where you're seeing the diplomatic effort concentrated yep. from afar also is to get those corridors up and running properly. There is um, a growing belief that we should be providing even more sophisticated weapons to Ukraine, including fighter jets. How close are we to the point where this is perceived as significant escalation? Well, at this stage, you see a real reticence still to even go there. Um, Eastern European states, for starters, they have pretty small air forces in general. Their planes may not be that modern, um, and they're not that keen to send their fighter jets in uh, for use from the Ukrainian Air Force, uh, in part because Russia would probably see that as an act of war on the part of those countries, and that could draw them directly into the conflict. It also leaves their own skies unprotected, uh, because what do they replace those planes with? Um, the U.S. might be able to get them something, but that would take at least a period of time, if not years, to do so. So th at that point, they're leaving their own skies untethered uh, and unprotected from any possible retaliation. So you see a real sense of unease on the part of Poland and other countries to even uh, consider that seriously at this stage. Ros, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's Ros Matheson on the latest in Ukraine and the diplomatic effort to resolve this conflict. Up next, we're going to talk about some of the implications of all of this. The metals market um, really seeing a lot of volatility at the moment. The nickel market closed earlier this morning by the London Metal Exchange. We'll talk about that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. The London Metal Exchange earlier today suspended trading in its nickel market. This after an unprecedented spike left brokers basically struggling to pay margin calls against unprofitable short positions. Basically a massive short squeeze unfolded. At the centre of it, a major Chinese bank. Watching all of this very carefully, Christoph Eibel. Tiberius Group co-founder and CEO. He's been in this market for years. Earlier on, he joined Kayleigh Lines and I in the studio. We started by asking him about what was happening at the LMA. If you slice it up, I think we were facing potential systemic risk 
um, nickel at $100,000, if you just do the math, what that would have meant for margin calls. I think there was probably was the right decision to take a step back. Was it the right decision to do that during trading hours or would it have been the right thing to close maybe or not even open on Tuesday is a different story. But at the end of the day, the concerns that the market had this morning was will the clearinghouse be able to properly fulfill its obligations? So I think we understand for now that the market is stable, participants have met their margin call obligations and I think the market can function. What does that mean for the nickel market? Will it reopen tomorrow? Highly unlikely in our view. Possibly in the next couple of weeks when they are able or have been able to sort out things in the background. Okay, so it could take a while, but speaking more broadly, Christoph, how large a concern is liquidity for you at this point? I mean, you need to distinguish between liquidity in the financial markets and liquidity of the metal itself, because mm. this is all a consequence of, obviously, the situation with the war in, in Ukraine uh, and, obviously, the shortfall of supply of nickel, aluminium, palladium, and energy in general. So, so there is shortages, and you can see them reflected in the physical premiums for those metals. I mean, nickel physical premiums have traded from a couple of hundred dollars pre this uh, escalation and the war to, you know, $20,000 a ton just on the physical premium that goes on top of the LME price. And you've seen similar escalatory price moves in the aluminium industry where you're paying $500 plus for delivery of standard aluminium ingots. So I think there is a fair, it's a fair, fair to say that the scarcity of metal that is anticipated in the European consumer industry is real. What's happening, of course, in the financial um, domain, i.e. speculators that are jumping onto a potential short squeeze is another. Commodities are often used as collateral. Correct. Some of those commodities cannot now be used as collateral. Correct. How big a problem is that? I think for the aluminium industry, nickel industry, palladium industry is massive because what you can see in the European OEM space and in the banking space that you know institutions just neither either don't want to buy the metal or want to finance the metal for reasons that come you know range from moral to could potential contagion risks and as a consequence there's a huge backlog and actually a liquidity jam because players that buy metal in Russia for example and distribute it to the European whatever packaging aviation automotive industry they can't move metal around because it wouldn't be financed anymore. So obviously, when we think about the different metals, nickel is a story that seems pretty driven by technical factors at this point, less so about fundamentals. But with aluminum, for example, which you deal with, does the dramatic move in pricing we have seen actually affect the reality of the tightness of that market? The market is tight, without a question, and it's tighter even in nickel and probably in palladium. But even if you just stay and stick with the aluminum market, yes. Um, it's clear that especially the value-added product domain, i.e. billets and automotive um, aluminium products, this is where Russia has been a key supplier to the US and to Europe. And there is grave concern that if that um, metal, i.e. the VAP, doesn't reach European and US shores, that there'll be just assembly lines that effectively won't operate anymore. So Europe's heading for a recession? I think... <laughs> Probably Europe is heading for a recession. Um, the question is what happens before recession. And, and I think this is, this is the contrarian problem where you have supply shortage, which will mean higher prices for a while because of the squeeze in itself. But we have an underlying recession, meaning that once it's, it's clear that higher prices will lead to supply destruction, mm. eventually prices will collapse. What, when is that? Yeah. What are those levels, though, Christoph? Well, it's, it's difficult to say, but in, in many ways, uh, I think we haven't seen the top 
I mean, it's, it's in many ways linked to obviously the, uh, the war in Ukraine, but second of all, it is in how far the, the consumer industry behaves, i.e. are European OEM interested in building up stock? What are European stock levels uh, look like? Is there spare capacity? Of course, the problem with higher energy prices in Europe, the, the idle production that has been shut down mm -hmm. will not go on stream basis higher energy prices. So it's a bit like, uh, it feels a bit like a checkmate situation, um, but it's clear that we will first see higher prices before we'll go into the lower price um, depression slash recession regime in the market. Uh, we're just getting, uh, it looks like a tweet coming out of the UK Business Secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng. Um, the UK confirming that it will phase out the import of Russian oil by the end of 2022. They're examining the situation when it comes to Russian gas. Uh, but at the moment, it looks like uh, Russian oil imports will cease uh, when it comes to um, the UK. But that's by the end of 2022. How long is this going to last? Is this a permanent situation that we are now going to find ourselves in, that it is, that it is hard to basically deal with Russian counterparts, it's hard to, to access Russian metals, energy, etc.? Is this now the new reality? Is this now the new normal? I think for us in Europe, it's definitely a new normal. I, I'm not so sure if it's a new normal for, for Russian entities operating under sanctions since we had the Crimea annexation. Um, but I think it starts with simple problems like DHL wouldn't ship original BLs to Russia, for example. So if you don't have the original BLs, how do you get access or a hold of Bills your cargo? Of Bills of lading, correct. Yeah. How do you get access to your cargo? Was Christoph Eipel, Tiberius Group co-founder and CEO, talking to Kelly Lines and I a little bit earlier on about what's happening in the metals market, what's happening more specifically in the aluminium market, the nickel market. Absolutely amazing right now. Uh, in terms of the pricing we're watching right now, actually aluminium down uh, a little bit today. We're down by around 8%. That sounds like a lot, but huge increases over the last few days. Copper's a little light as well. Spot gold is actually trading still north of 2,000. We're up by around 2% there. Uh, iron ore fairly flat. Uh, spot silver also rising really quite nicely. Uh, when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation about the impact uh, of all of this on the markets. What are markets actually really pricing in terms of growth going forward? And which is the greater threat, inflation or growth? Uh, Bloomberg's John Alpers is going to be joining us to kick that around. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. 5.30 in the City of London. You are listening to The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson. Let's talk about the price action, a real acceleration in terms of the story over in the United States. Within the last 20 minutes or so, the Nasdaq has turned massively positive. We're up by around 1.5%. The S&P is up by around 1%. So a real turnaround. Uh, in the nature of the equity session over here. Here in Europe, the FTSE 100 finishing flat today. The CAC here aren't uh, negative, down by three-tenths of 1%. The DAX uh, also flat. Uh, a lot of price action, obviously, in the commodity space over the last few days. We continue to monitor that very, very carefully. Uh, Brent crude now up by 3%, uh, coming down really quite sharply uh, within the last few minutes as well. WTI crude uh, moving sharply to the downside as well. It was still up, but we are less up than we were before. Uh, and we are certainly watching very carefully the impact uh, of the, uh, the decision by the United States to basically ban 
Russian energy. Um, the UK making a similar decision, a, a more tapered decision, uh, but we're going to be banning Russian oil. We're going to be banning Russian uh, products as well, i.e. diesel coming into the country. That can have a meaningful impact. Uh, so that's what's happening in the markets right now. Let's get a headline update. Here's Charlie. Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Really just want to emphasize the strength in the rally that we're seeing in American stocks right now. You correctly pointed out that roughly 30 minutes ago, all of a sudden, a massive turnaround for the U.S. equity market. The Dow now up by 1.1%, S&P up by 9 tenths of 1%. And uh, the guy mentioned the strength in tech stocks. NASDAQ rallying now by 1.3%. NASDAQ 100 index up by 1.2%. American stocks are rebounding as investors weigh the impact of plans to impose a ban on imports of Russian energy. President Biden saying the U.S. will ban imports of Russian fossil fuels, including oil. The move is being matched by the U.K., which will ban oil imports, though it will continue to allow natural gas and coal from the country. Oil rallying higher. Brent briefly passing $132 a barrel right now. Barrel of Brent, the global benchmark, up 2.6%, 126.49. Shell and BP say they will not be making any new purchases of Russian oil and gas, but won't be able to immediately disentangle themselves from the country due to long-term contracts and the likely difficulty of finding alternative supplies. BBC says it will resume English language reporting from Russia tonight. After it was suspended at the end of last week, BBC says it considered implications of Russian legislation alongside the, quote, urgent need to report from inside Russia. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, Fast Moving Markets, back to you now in London. So I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this, and I think there's a possibility that this actually is related to the speech that President Zelensky has made to the UK Parliament this afternoon. And it looks like within that, potentially, Charlie, we have seen him saying that the, his country is no longer ex, sort of insisting on NATO membership. And I think that may have just changed things a little bit in terms of expectations about maybe a way out of this conflict. Indeed. We'll and Guy, it's key just because it suggests that there is room, perhaps, emphasis on perhaps, there is room for some sort of negotiation, there is room yeah. for some sort of movement here. Maybe the sort of Finlandization that, that some people were talking about uh, a few weeks back, and then that was strongly dismissed. But it's not been a great few sessions for equity markets, certainly a very, very tough tape uh, over the last few days. Charlie, thank you very much. My pleasure, Indeed. Um, let's bring into the conversation now Bloomberg's John Authors. John, great to catch up. Haven't done so for a few days. Uh, the events actually in the last 10, 10 to 50 minutes, I think, are really quite interesting and instructive, potentially. Zelensky making some remarks to the UK Parliament. He's been speaking to the Parliament by video link, suggesting that maybe NATO mm. membership is, is no longer essential for his country. Th these markets have been moving around a, a great deal, energy markets in particular, energy markets shooting sharply to the upside. If there's yeah. any hint of a kind of off-ramp from this conflict. Like, do they come down as quickly as they went up, do you think? Uh, I don't think they... Well, they certainly don't go all the way back to where they were two years ago. Um, um, I, I, I can imagine them coming down fairly quickly because this is a very extreme spike. I've been having fun on the terminal. This is actually, in percentage terms, slightly bigger than the spike around the the uh, Yom Kippur War now, um, okay. from from bottom to top. So this is this is an historically huge spike, 
uh, and it's reasonable to expect that it will uh, that it that it can't be sustained for much for much longer. Um, I'm still concerned about. Um, I, I guess if Putin can take um, uh, Ukraine saying it won't join NATO as an excuse to then just complete to declare victory and leave the Ukraine leave Ukraine completely, then I guess that is a fantastic off ramp, and we can uh, we can probably go back to something like normal. Uh, I would still need to be convinced that he uh, that he recognises that. Uh, and there will still it will still be very difficult politically for many people to do um, trade with Russia for a long time to come. So yep. the uh, the extra impulse this gives to uh, looking for extra sources of supply and investing in new sources of supply is is is, is going to be durable. And higher prices are going to be durable while that while that that transition continues. Absolutely. So let's talk about those high prices. You bring up the 1970s. Mm. Can we assume, and I'm just kind of wondering about what the price reaction has been thus far, are we at the point where you think European assets, the stocks, the Eurostox 50 is down by kind of 18% year to date, we're kind of down circa 20% off the highs, um, mm. roughly, like 18 20%. Is that enough to price in a recession in Europe? Is that what the market is signaling at the moment, do you think? Yes. He said nervously. I, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's a it's a it's a it's a finely balanced question. But the uh, the degree of distress in equity valuations is undeniable. Um, very serious. You, you, if, if you didn't know there was a war on, you would definitely be buying European stocks in a very big way at this at this moment on on valuation grounds. Uh, if you look at um, uh, inflation expectations. Um, this was long, long a consummation devoutly to be wished, but as far as I can make out, we now have the highest long-term uh, German inflation expectations ever, uh, far above two percent. That is, that is a troublesome new, um, new scenario, a new paradigm, given that it's not being caused by great new growth. So it looks to me as though we are the market is now in a defensive crouch. It's poised yeah. for recession in Europe. Germany has experienced quite high inflation in the past, but obviously not in the current <laughs> kind of a century era. ago. Yes, yes, but but, but in the last uh, since they've had break-evens, which they didn't have during the Weimar era, no. um, they're at a record. So so okay on on that front then. So how how do we think about growth versus inflation? I, wh- which is the biggest threat right now? Uh, um, kind of clearly, we 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 have a growth shock potentially coming yeah. towards us, but we also have combined with that an inflationary shock as well. Yeah, clearly the combination of the two is quite toxic. But but if we think about the kind of the greater threat to portfolios, which one is is greater? I still think inflation because we're not used to it, because it really has uh, an impact on what can be done to deal with growth, and also because inflation, once it gets onto the scale we could be facing here, becomes a problem for growth in itself. Back in the 70s, the fact that inflation was so high had had an effect on investment, 
had an effect on business confidence and it, 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 you, you, you go past the point where, the, where, where inflation and growth uh, uh, move in opposite directions. After a certain point, they reinforce each other. And unfortunately, we do appear to be getting to the point now if, uh, if this supply shock proves to be durable and inflation rises even further from where it is. Yep. I think that's at the point where inflation actually damages growth. So, so let's talk about that. If, if you are a central bank in this position, yes. what do you do? There, there seems to be this belief, and I'm going to Frankfurt tomorrow to, 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 to go to the ECB Thursday. I, what do you do if you're Christine Lagarde in this scenario? You are clearly facing a growth and an inflation shock. But as you say, there is history that certainly suggests that, that you get to a point where they are, they are reinforcing and you, and you need to step on inflation quite hard. Yet there seems to be this belief that central banks are going to try and look through this and focus more on the growth element. I am dubious about that. Bear in mind, I'm sitting in New York and I'm thinking more about the, the, uh, the issues from the American perspective, whereas plainly there is much more of a growth issue in Europe than there than there is here in the States. The, the, you know, the, they're more yep. dependent on Russian oil. It's happening on European territory. Um, however, I don't see how, in the case of the ECB, it doesn't have a dual mandate. It has one mandate yep. uh, to maintain the currency. Uh, what has just happened is more of a threat to the currency than we already had before. I don't see beyond possibly justifying something through, you know, for macroprudential reasons, for, for, for stopping an all-out financial market accident. I, I don't see how Christine Lagarde can do anything other than continue to sound vigilant about inflation. And similarly, here in the States, uh, I, I, I think not hiking next week would be shocking and would actually be counterproductive because it would show how rattled the Fed was. If, with inflation where it is at present, with yields where they are, real yields where they are at present, you just can't yeah. not raise in, in the circumstances unless you really think the world is coming to an end. So I, I, I think I don't buy that central banks are really going to shift because of growth, I think. The inflationary aspect of this shock is such that they have no choice but to press on fighting inflation. Let's talk about the impact of inflation on corporate earnings. Um, yes. The concern is obviously that we are going to see a margin hit. I'm starting yes. to see downgrades coming through, but they're not that significant thus far. Do you expect the down corporate earnings downgrades to start to accelerate from here? If things get... Barring some surprisingly swift and clean resolution in Ukraine. I, again, I think I think that's close to inevitable. Um, anybody who is a price, anybody who buys the commodities whose prices have just gone up um, is going to have to take some of the hits to their margin. It, it, I mean, note Biden in his his speech earlier today or his comments earlier today did take time to say oil companies don't pass all of this on to consumers. Um, and I think that would similarly apply to, to many other companies. I think, I think some degree of margin hit is going to happen, as this is likely to affect growth as well. Uh, revenues are not going to be as healthy as they were. So I would expect um, earnings estimates to begin to come down faster, barring some good news. Yes. The other thing, which is fascinating to, to look at, if you, if you look at 
European stocks, they are now if you, on prospective PEs. If you go by Bloomberg's forecast PEs, they're now cheaper than they were before the uh, before the uh, pandemic started. You know, the, all the uh, yeah. overvaluation is, is erased. Unfortunately, I think th- those estimates are going to start coming down. Yeah, and that and that's yeah, the P and E start start to change. Exactly. Yeah. Um, energy stocks strike me as being an interesting place to, to look at the moment. A lot of people are yeah. trying to get into energy stocks. There's a couple of reasons why they'd be worried about it. One of which is ESG concerns. The other one is that, as we talked about earlier, what goes up can come down very quickly. Mm. Where are, kind of what what is the current view of of commodities and the commodity complex and and the relationship between commodities and the stocks that track them? Yeah, it's a very, very interesting one, Matt, isn't it? I, I, I actually have a chart up in front of me as we speak. We, 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 I have uh, the MSCI World Energy Index, um, which is going ballistic, as you would imagine, and BP, which is one of the biggest uh, constituents of yeah. that index. BP is one of the companies that has already had to take some pain from leaving Russia, and it's, you know, it's doing well today, but wow, is it party company from the rest of the sector. Uh, there are certainly some intriguing opportunities. Um, I'm not an expert in BP. Yep. Those companies that have already taken a hit on Russia might now become very interesting to look at if you're a fundamental investor. Okay. Uh, as for the stocks themselves, they look overdone to me. John, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure speaking to you and really got you right. Thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's John Authors. Up next, we'll go to the White House and join AMH. I'm Marie Holder. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Americans have rallied support, have rallied to support the Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. The President of the United States speaking around an hour ago, talking about the idea that the United States is going to ban the import of Russian energy. Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern, part of the team that broke that story, that this was going to happen today a little earlier on in the session. She joins us now from Washington, D.C. Anne-Marie, I listened to the President. I heard what he had to say, largely as you had described it. Um, My question to you is, was this aimed at Vladimir Putin? Was it aimed at deterring him from further aggression? Or was this aimed at the American people? Was this aimed at Congress? We're doing something. We are going to take and tackle the issue of energy. I think it's twofold. We should note that although many people would say this is a tiny amount, when you consider all crude imports, 3%, of Russian crude doesn't sound like a lot. But when you also factor in petroleum products, it's 8%, just after Canada and Mexico, and even before a U.S. key ally in the Gulf, Saudi Arabia. Now, after the price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, when we had prices literally go negative, this was a huge feat for the Kremlin in the sense that President Putin has always wanted to kill U.S. shale. They never wanted America to be a major player in the fossil fuel world because that was their home turf. And the fact that then you had in 2021 Russia exporting into the United States 8% of the U.S. total, that was a huge feat for the Kremlin. And now that's gone. So one, I think this goes after the lifeblood of the Russian economy. This is how President Putin has been able to build up those 640 
$43 billion of reserves. This is how he has all those alleged billions piled up, stockpiled somewhere. So it definitely does go directly to the heart of the Russian economy. But as you say, Guy, this is also a domestic story. The administration has been under immense amount of pressure from even members of their own party over the last few days, with Speaker Pelosi coming out yep. saying, ban it, ban the Russian oil. So I think it's twofold. So, so if the president hadn't done it, Congress probably would have acted? Yes, of course they would have. They were already drawing up legislation, and we yep. had that yesterday. How did the American people react to this? I, the president was essentially trying to say, this is the price that is worth paying we are going to have higher gasoline prices, but but if you look at the impact that it's going to have, this is the price that it's worth paying. How does that go down with the average American? I've seen a little bit of this guy across the media, and it does seem like the average American is willing to pay a little bit more at the pump because they are seeing every day, and it's not just across television screens, across their cell phones, across Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, what is going on in this assault on civilians in Ukraine. And when people ask, are you willing to pay a little bit more at the pump because of this war, they would likely say yes. That has been, by and large, a little bit of what you're seeing, either with individuals talking on the street or polls. But the issue then becomes a little bit harder for this administration because, of course, that's just gasoline prices. You have to think Russia is a commodity superstore. Wheat, corn, aluminum, palladium, nickel, all this uh, administration's ambitions for cleaner energy, you need all of those base metals for batteries, solar panels, wind. So it is going to get tricky, and the inflationary story is just going to make it much harder for this administration on the domestic front. The U.S. has largely gone it alone. We have seen an announcement today by the U.K., which is also going to be banning uh, refined products as well. But it's going to happen with a taper towards the end of the year. The Europeans aren't aren't on board with this at this point. The president has made a great deal over the last few days of the fact that Europe and the United States are, are acting as one. How significant is this this departure from that? I don't think it's a big departure because they've done this in consultation with their European allies. It wasn't like Europe wasn't prepared for this, and Europe also is making their own plans. The the issue with Europe is, and Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany, said this yesterday, they cannot immediately move away from Russian oil and gas. They are enslaved to Russian fossil fuels if they want to keep the lights on and the heat or the air condition burning in their home. That is just a matter of fact. But they are looking at ways to loosen that dependence much quicker than they would have ever thought in the past. I mean, this time last year, we were talking about Germany becoming even more reliant with the Nord Stream 2. Where are we now? Nord Stream 2 is completely benched. Olaf Scholz made a huge speech recently, not just about reversing uh, their military budget, but also the fact that they want to grow two new LNG plants. security facilities, which basically means they can just import LNG. They don't need to go to Russia. So you do see movements in Europe. It's just never going to be able to be immediate because they're not set up for it. What could replace Russian crude? It's a good question. Over the weekend, we had U.S. officials travel to Venezuela. Venezuela, of course, is under sanctions. They're crude from the United States. Venezuela has the most proven reserves. They can easily replace this Russian crude, especially the kind of crude it is. The U.S. has a lot of sweet crude. It's very light. Russian crude is thick, high in sulfur, viscous. You can get that from Venezuela. The other place, 
And this is potentially something that we could see. There has been a lot of optimism coming out of Iran, especially from the foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullian, talking about a potential a nuclear deal. If Iranian barrels were to hit the market, that would definitely help this administration in terms of price. And then obviously, the central banker of oil, or they like to call themselves that, although at the moment, I don't know if anyone would say they're acting as that, is Saudi Arabia. They could immediately put their thumb on this market. They just have yet to act. Final quick question. Um, is there anything else on the agenda? We've targeted energy here, but there's some talk maybe of gold and other aspects of the commodities trade being hit as well. I think it's just a matter of time at the moment. There's been a huge rallying cry for this ban on oil um, from Russia, I think because it is the number one industry to the Russian economy. But as you say, Guy, you mentioned gold, I think aluminum, palladium, nickel. It's why you see all of these prices uh, really skyrocketing. But we should also note one thing. Even if the administration did not come out today and ban Russian crude, this was already happening in the market. Refiners, ships, no one wants to touch it. Legal issues, not sure if potentially they get a cargo yep. and then it becomes sanctioned. And then also, Guy, moral issues. Great story, Amory Hordern in Washington, D.C. for us, breaking that a little earlier. Uh, real rally now beginning to kick in in U.S. equity markets. The Nasdaq up 2%, the S&P up by 1.36. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.